0: 1031 exchanges, why you need to run away. So what are we gonna to cover today? We're gonna to go over why I believe that 1031 exchanges are unwieldy, complicated, expensive, and just not that great, and how there's a better way to be able to defer capital gains than doing the 1031 exchange. So who am I? I'm Don Thornton, I'm president of HB Funding, I'm a short sale expert. I have been uh, investing in short sales for 20 years now. I flipped over 2,500 short sales, and trust me, I know about capital gains and the IRS being in my back pocket after all these years. I believe that 1031 exchange is like a square peg for a round hole. Yes, it allows you to avoid paying uh, to defer paying capital gains. Uh, you got to use a qualified intermediary. It's complicated. Like I said, you've got very tight windows to do them. So I just think it's unwieldy and ultimately uh, it's just there's, there's a better way to do it. Um, so and also remember that if your property sells for more than its depreciated value, you've got to recapture that, de- that depreciation and pay tax on that which is also something that, that that comes up so as we said um this is a timeline for a ch- uh, uh, 1031 exchange when you sell your property the title company uh, has you already have to have your qualified intermediaries set up uh, for the title company to wire that the proceeds of the sale to that person so you've got to identify a replacement property within 45 days from the time you sold your property and you've got to close within 180 days and that's a lot i mean in this real estate market especially, uh, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, and remember, not all you can't roll all of these fees into the transaction. Uh, you've got financing fees, repairs, property taxes, insurance, premiums, and uh, that's also something to consider and uh, frankly the boot is what you got to be uh, worried about because uh, you can get the boot by the irs if uh, for example if your replacement property uh, is of lesser value the difference is taxable and if personal property is used to complete the transaction well you're going to get the cash boot which means you're going to have to uh, pay taxes on that difference also another big uh, issue is most of us we buy properties in an llc and you know, for me, I, I have a chapter, uh, excuse me, I have a, uh, a S corporation. I'm the only officer in the company. I don't normally use LLCs, but I know a lot of people do. We have a lot of partnerships. And so you cannot do uh, a, a, a 1031 exchange in a, with a partnership. You would have to have one of the partners uh, drop out and do what they call a drop and swap. Now, your eyes glazing over a little bit here. Uh, you know, those of you who use chapter, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, 1031 exchanges, Uh, This may be old hats for you, but that was always a big uh, no-no for me was because it just the more complicated it gets, the worse. But if that's the only way you know how to do it, then you just get used to it, I suppose. But uh, I didn't think that was just a very good way to do it. But anyway, let's go through and and we'll look at an example of a a 1031 exchange. Uh, Let's say that I bought a 30-unit apartment in Florida 20 years ago, and now I want to sell it. And I'm going to buy a new one, say, in Texas. Okay. So, uh, look at the system of the numbers. Okay. So I have an original purchase price of 1500000 uh, million. Let's say I put uh, $50,000 into it for capital improvements. And then over the years, I've taken a million dollars in depreciation. So now this allows me to, to, <clears throat> excuse me, to, um, calculate what my net adjusted basis is. All right. So then once I have that, then we can look at okay if I think if I think I can sell it for 4.25 million uh, and I you know I subtract the net adjusted basis that I just did in the previous slide and I add all my closing costs commissions you know commissions closing costs all that stuff then my then the number comes out to be 3.5 million. So then let's you know to compute the the net capital gain computation you've got uh, a net capital gain of 3.5 million. So we recaptured, uh, one point, one million of depreciation. So the net capital gain is 2.5 million. Okay. So now we have, uh, on the depreciation capture, which was, uh, taxed at 25%, then we are uh, liable 250,000. Uh, let's say the, the depreciation was, uh, uh, 20%, then we'll do, you, obviously we're looking at, uh, five, uh, uh 500,000. For that, which means your, the net tax liability for this, this uh, transaction will be $750,000. That's a pretty hefty sum. You can see why you want to try to defer that as, as, as by any way possible, even doing a, a 1031 exchange. All right. So, um, but you can tell that's pretty complicated, right? And I know that I've always wanted to find a better way. But I am so happy that I found a better way. And what I love about it is that, well, two reasons. Number one, it's simple. It's so simple. Number two, it's just better. There's no hoops to jump through, okay? But when I heard about this in my search to find a better way to defer capital gains, I wanted to keep it simple stupid. But what actually happened was that I kept it simple. Genius. So this is how I would sell it now instead of going through all those hoops. What I would do and what I've done in my own business is I've sell. i sold all of my business assets and my personal assets, for that matter, into a special trust. I made myself trustee of this special trust. Now, as owner, the trust is selling the business, not my company. So when it's sold, the proceeds are not Given to an intermediary, I'm not having to, I can't touch this stuff, you know, the the proceeds. It's in my trust bank account where the capital gains are deferred in perpetuity. And you might say, well, how is that possible? Well, this is a special trust that has IRS 643 status, which means that it is not going to be subject to capital gains. They can be deferred in perpetuity. And what I also like about this almost as a, as a benefit is that the asset protection is amazing because uh, – and I'll get in that right now. So basically, um, this trust has a spendthrift clause in it, which, which has been codified by the IRS, 6.643. It's based on contract law, which is not legislative law, which means that it's nearly impossible for anybody to attach a judgment to it. Or you know to get some kind of a of a, of a uh, encumbrance or whatever because it is um, protected by uh, a, a spendthrift trust. Uh, and listen, if the Rockefellers have used it since 1914, I I think it's something worth doing, right? So if this has kind of piqued your curiosity about uh, how this could work in your in your um, specific business or your transaction. Let's say, you know, if you're like me, a real estate investor and you're selling properties and you're subject to capital gains, or let's say you're selling a business and you're going to get hit with capital gains. You know, what I really urge you to do is schedule a financial mapping session with one of our specialists. You can reach out to me and we can uh, discuss about scheduling this and we can definitely show you how much money you can save and how much time and hassle you can save by not having to go through all these 1031 exchange hoops when you can just have the one con- one transaction and it comes into your account and you never have to pay because it's deferred in perpetuity that's the biggest thing so i look forward to helping to guiding you on your journey to freedom from capital gains like i am and because that's why my new nickname is don the capital gains guy because i'm going to show you how to free yourself from capital gains. I look forward to talking to you more about this and you have a great